welcome to episode 38 of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. My name is Molly, and today I have three questions. They're all about parts of our bodies. Today, our first question comes from Lara, and it's about our appendix. Over to Lara. Hi, my name is Lara. I'm eight years old, and I have a question. What's the appendix used for? Hi, Lara. Thanks for your great question. To answer it, I have Dr. Kiara Hunt. Kiara is a doctor. She runs the bump class for mums and dads who are about to have a baby. And she also co-hosts a podcast for parents called The Parenthood with her sister, Marina Vogel. I went on The Parenthood earlier this year to talk about children and curiosity. So Kiara is the perfect person to answer your question. Over to Dr. Kiara Hunt. This is Dr. Kiara Hunt. I've been asked to answer a question from Lara, which is, why do we have an appendix? First of all, what is our appendix? It is a small, thin tube which is attached to our large intestine, which is the end of our gut. It's about 8 to 10 centimetres long and less than a centimetre wide. We actually call it a vestigial organ, which is left over from when humans used to eat a lot more roughage and needed an extra organ to break it down. But now that we eat food that is much more easily digestible, we don't really need it. It's one of those organs that was critical for survival in the past, but has become defunct over time. Interestingly, some animals have appendices and others don't. So primates, rabbits do, but other animals like cats and dogs don't probably because they eat more meat. So do we need our appendix? What's good about it and what's bad about it? Well, the risks of having an appendix are that they can develop nasty things like cancers. Oh no! But most importantly, they are prone to painful infection called appendicitis, which you've probably all heard about. The causes of appendicitis is often unknown, but we know that probably it's caused when the appendix gets blocked, usually by hard poo, or maybe it's been injured, possibly there's a tumour. Even intestinal worms can cause it to be blocked. When it gets blocked, the bacteria gets trapped and multiplies, and it causes swelling and build-up of pus. And if it's not treated, the pussy appendix can burst and cause a life-threatening infection of the whole of the abdominal cavity. So to prevent appendicitis happening, astronauts or explorers will often have their appendix removed prophylactically, that means preventatively, to prevent it getting infected when they're far away from medical help. Having it removed, though, means having an operation which does carry risks as well. Recently, though, scientists have been studying the appendix closely and they've discovered that it may be more useful than we previously thought. They studied various different species and they found that the appendix almost never disappeared from the evolutionary lineage once it had appeared. And this implies that it might have a role other than just digestion of roughage and might still be useful even when the species no longer needs the appendix for this purpose. So what other ways might it be useful? We think that it may actually play a role in our immune system. So the recent studies have shown that animals with an appendix have a higher concentration of lymphoid tissue in their gut. So the lymphoid tissue is important because it plays a role in our immune system or animals' immune system and so might help us fight infections better. It's also thought to stimulate the good bacteria in our gut, which is important for healthy digestion. So it is possible that people with an appendix recover quicker from an illness than those without. However, over time, many millions of people have had their appendix out and they appear to be perfectly healthy. So there appears to be pros and cons of having an appendix. And I would say, unless you're an astronaut or a serious explorer, it is probably worth keeping yours inside you if you can. 
I hope that answers your question, Lara. Thanks, Kiara, for your excellent answer. I'm amazed that astronauts and explorers often have their appendix taken out so they don't get an infection in it when they're far away from home. I'm glad I'm not an astronaut. If you have a question you would like answered on the show or in the Everything Under the Sun book, all you have to do is ask an adult to record you asking it and ask them to send in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. Next up, we have a question from Otto about ears. Over to Otto. Hello, my name is Otto and I'm four years old and my question is, why Thanks, Otto, for your great question. Have you ever tried to waggle your ears? I guess you've seen cats, dogs and horses moving their ears around. And the reason they do it is they can swivel their ears around towards the direction that sound is coming from so that they can hear it more clearly. Our ancestors could actually wiggle their ears in this way too. Way, way back in time. But we don't really need to do this anymore so most humans have lost the ability. And there are a few humans who can waggle their ears. We think about 15% of humans can wiggle their ears. Being able to waggle them is called a vestigial feature. You spell vestigial like this. E-E-S-T-I-G-I-A-L. And just like the appendix, it is something that was once useful to our ancestors, but we don't really need it anymore. Although, as Kiara said, perhaps the appendix is useful for our immune system and in other ways we don't quite know about yet. As for ear wiggling, while some people are born with the possibility of being able to wiggle one ear or two, and if you have a little bit of skill, then you can keep practicing until you can do it. Just like some people can raise one eyebrow, because they've taught themselves how to, if you practice for a long time, you might be able to learn how to wiggle your ears. The reason it seems likely you need to be born with some ability to do it in the first place, though, is that there was a study done in 1949 of a big group of people, and that showed that 49% of ear wigglers had a parent who could ear wiggle too. I hope that answers your question, Otto. And now from ears to eyes, and a question from Alice. Hi, Alice. I'm Alice, I'm five years old, I live in Chippen Norton, I like making stuff and this is my question, how do our eyes say? Hi Alice, thanks for your great question. Well our eyes work a bit like cameras, they take in light, inside is a lens for focusing and something sensitive to the light. In our eyeballs, the sensitive bit is called the retina and it's at the back. If you look into a friend's eyes, you'll see a black circle in the middle called the pupil that gets bigger and smaller to control the amount of light that goes into the eye. This is what a camera will do as well. Ask your friend to walk into the sunshine and back out again and you'll see their pupil change as size. We call this little bit of the eye the pupil because there's a Latin word pupillus, pupilla, which means a little doll or child. Now get a friend and look into their eyes and you'll see a tiny reflection of yourself looking like a little tiny doll. Then you'll see why we use this word pupil. So the light enters your eyeball and goes through the cornea, which is a bit of your eye that protects your eye. And then the light goes to the lens. The lens bends the light so that it shines onto a retina 
at the back of the eye. Your retina has millions of things on it called rods and cones that work out what you're seeing and sends messages back to your brain through two optic nerves that cross over and come together when they meet the brain. The things you see with the left side of your eyes goes to the left side of your brain and the same with the right side so that things you'll see in both eyes can then be put together by your brain. The signals all go to the back of your brain into what is called the visual cortex. Bizarrely, everything that goes into your eyes is actually upside down. But now the brain flips it back the right way around. So it's actually the brain that sees what your eyes look at. A professor in Germany did an experiment. He made goggles with mirrors that flip light going into his students' eyes upside down. At first, his student fell over and couldn't see. When he was offered a cup of tea, he held his teacup upside down when his tea was being poured. He could not tell up from down at all. But over the next 10 days, he got used to seeing upside down and everything went back to normal again. He could ride a bike and do whatever he liked. That's how clever our brains are. It only took 10 days for the brain to readjust and be able to see things the right way up, even though it was the opposite way to how it had been before without the glasses. I hope that answers your question, Alice. Right, that's it. That's our three questions for this week. A huge thank you to Dr. Kiara Hunt for telling us why we have an appendix and to Lara, Otto and Alice for this week's lovely questions. A big thank you to Ash Gardner at House of Strange for the theme song and Audio Networks for all the lovely incidental music we use this week. I'll be back next week answering more questions from children around the world in another episode of Everything Under the Sun. Do send in your questions. There's information about how to do that on the show's website, everythingunderthesun.co.uk. You just need to borrow an adult smartphone, record yourself, and email the recording in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. I'm busy writing the book now, so please send in your questions as soon as you can. If you like the show, do rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends to do the same. The next person this week to leave a review and let me know by email that they've done it will get some Everything Under the Sun bookmarks in the post. They're really lovely, so do get posting if you like the show. Thank you so much, have a lovely week, and goodbye!